Hello and welcome to episode six of the Practice Drill podcast. Once again, I'm joined by my very good mate, Blaze McKee. What's going on? You're at home. Not much, man. Yeah, still at home. Still going strong. Mate, being safe. That's what I like to hear. So for everyone listening today, if you want to go see some of our other work, we've got our social media, Instagram and Twitter. You can follow us at T underscore practice drill. We're posting daily, keeping you up to date on all things NRL, AFL, rugby union, cricket and NBA basketball. Today, we're talking about the Origin Game 3 team lineups that have been announced today and yesterday. The absolutely incredible win for the All Blacks on the weekend against Tonga. Once again, we continue our series of pretender or contender. Today, we're talking about outside. Try not to be too biased, but the Sydney Swans. And our final topic of today, the NBA Finals preview between the Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. So, Blaze, let's get right into it. Here we go. So, we'll start at the top, mate. So, teams for Origin Game 3 have been announced. few changes on both sides. Um, unfortunately for New South Wales, the changes are kind of being forced due to injury. And, um, you know, as a Queenslander, I feel you. I've had to deal with that throughout the whole series. But... You know, how how do you feel going into game three knowing that, you know, two of arguably your best players in Jerome Luai and Nathan Cleary have been ruled out due to injury? How do you feel um, about that? Yeah, it's probably, you know, in terms of timing for injuries, it's probably pretty good. I think we're pretty lucky that we've luckily already secured the 2-0 win. So hopefully it shouldn't have too much of an effect. And I think these guys can go into game three. Obviously, they'll still be wanting to to get the win, but, you know, it was a bit of a free free swing for the New South Wales guys. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised you actually took that approach because I feel like um, Cleary especially has been unbelievable. I don't think you can really replace his kicking game and his, um, and his game awareness um, and decision-making. So uh, I think that's a huge loss for New South Wales. I do agree, though. They just have that many superstars that can just step up into the spot. And most importantly... Um, Jack Whiten and Mitchell Moses, the new half pairing. How do you feel about those two um, joining up in the Origin Arena? I like it. Obviously, Jack Whiten's you know, been there before and probably rightly been on the bench the first two games, so he probably gets promoted there. And Mitch Moses, probably a bit more controversial. You know, definitely an up-and-down sort of career, and even this season has been a bit up-and-down, but definitely one, you know, a bit younger than maybe those Rabbitohs guys. And, gets the nod there. So he can definitely, one that can probably compete compete with Cleary for that jersey in the future. Yeah. I mean, he'll always be um, a name that's thrown up, but when you've got someone like Nathan Cleary, he's going to hold down that number seven spot for New South Wales for quite a few years to come. But it's good to know for New South Wales, especially in a game like this, you've already wrapped up the series. So with Cleary getting injured, you get a chance to see you know, how well Mitchell Moses um, can play on the high, basically the highest level in rugby league. Um, but in my opinion, I think it's a missed opportunity for New South Wales. I think uh, a key ingredient in their success, and I spoke about it in, a, in an article I wrote on the Practice Drill website, www.thepracticedrill.com.au last week, talking about how, you know, a key success for New South Wales has been that Penrith core. And it's been spoken about a lot. 
Um, so I was really surprised to see them go with Whiten and Moses, who have never played together. I wouldn't think so. Um, and they had a perfect opportunity to pick two guys who have already played Origin in the halves, in Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds, and keep Whiten coming off the bench wearing the number 14. I think then, instead of the first two games where you had that Penrith call, you could have a South Sydney call. So that would mean Walker and Reynolds in the halves. You have Latrell Mitchell in the centres, Damien Cook at nine, and Cameron Murray on the edge. So in my opinion, what's that? That is five. Five plays in the starting lineup, all from South Sydney. But what do you think about that? Do you think they should have, you know, gone with that route, picking a South Sydney call? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one because we have seen the Rabbitohs this season, especially have really gelled well together, especially on attack. And those guys in particular have been key to that. But, you know, it's probably just the age factor. You know, Moses only 26, so he probably still has quite a few years ahead of him. Yeah, but, you know, Moses... And, and I don't think it should... You, you shouldn't be selected based on this, but he missed the conversion to win the game the other day. And I'm not saying that that should rule him out, but Parramatta really didn't play well. Neither did Penrith the other night. It was a really scrappy game. Errors, you know, neither side could really get going. And that's why it was a close score in the game. But I just think you want someone who's really clean with the ball. And that's what Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds provided yesterday. I mean, South Sydney towed up the West Tigers, so... In my opinion, if I was a New South Wales selector, I would have gone with that route. But anyway, we'll move on to the better state, the Queensland side. Um, Kalen Ponga returns, a much pleasing uh, sight for Queensland fans to see him return. Ben Hunt jumps into the number nine spot and AJ Brimson back to the bench after missing game two. And Hamaso Tabuai Fido makes his origin debut in the centres what do you think about him being selected to match up on Travojevic? Does that worry you? He's quite quick in attack. Um, but what do you think? Is he going to be able to defend against someone as good as Tom Travojevic? Yeah, I think I really like that selection. A big part of game two, a lot of the talk was just about, you know, Queensland's attack really didn't provide much and they they were quite stagnant. And I think with Fido and, and Ponga in particular, they're going to provide a big spark to that attack. Ponga came back for the Knights on the weekend and straight away you could see the impact he had there. Yeah. So just a bit more speed and a bit more excitement in that back line will hopefully provide New South Wales with some more issues defensively. Yeah, I think that's the main thing for Queensland. I think, you know, if you had to put all your money on it, you'd probably say New South Wales are going to get the clean sweep, even though they have the, both their halves out and they've got a new combination. But what Queensland need to do is they need to find a way. If Even in this game, you've got to find some type of positive. And I think with... Hamaso getting picked for Queensland, it's it's them trying to find a little bit more of electricity and attack, some pace, and and like you said, make New South Wales answer some questions, throw some things at them that they haven't seen, and go, whoa, well they weren't doing that in in the last game, and and you know hopefully um, as a Queensland fan, I want to see our side really um, puzzle New South Wales and and at least score some points. I mean. That was ridiculous that we weren't able to score. But um, I think another good sign for Queensland is Kurt Capewell moving back into his natural spot in the second row. Um, what do you think about that? Fafita still kept on the bench and Jai Arrow moves to lock. Are you worried about Capewell back in his natural position or you still just think that your side can, can handle what he provides? 
Yeah, it's pretty well known, you know, Kurt K was one of the one of the best in his position and I think everyone around the whole NRL game kind of realised that he'd been a bit thrown to the wolves there in the centre position. You know, he's he's not used to that position and when you come up against someone as as quality as Turbo and you're a bit uncomfortable, you know, you can really get exposed. So I think it's good to see him back in the second row position where he can hopefully really show what he's got and what he's capable of. Yeah, and I think what this series has shown us more than any other Origin series is that what has worked in pre, in, in maybe even in Queensland's case, what has worked in the year before doesn't mean it's going to work in the next year. And that's something that um, we haven't really seen the Origin arena. It's always been pretty classical style of football. It's kind of changed with the times of the NRL. Um, but this year, it's apples and oranges, basically, between last se- last series and this series. It's... You know, 76 points combined New South Wales have put on to Queensland six. Like, we haven't seen that. That's been a, a big um, spotlight for the media to put that attention on the scoring and all that type of stuff. But for Queensland, I think what a big thing is, it's just because Kate Ward dominated in the centres last year against um, Gutherson, who had, hadn't really, we hadn't really ever seen him play in the centres. Just because he dominated in that series doesn't mean the next year Kate Ward's going to have that. Um, same ability because now he's up against Travojevic who has played in the centres before in origin and I think you could basically put Travojevic anywhere on the field and he'll still have an impact so um, I thought yeah, I think sorry all those all those changes I think are quite meaningful changes you know when when there's a lot of pressure coming from outside and media and whatnot as there would be on the Maroons camp at the moment it can be easy to probably make some changes for the sake of making changes for yeah. example, you look at maybe DCE, a lot of people are calling for him to be in to be axed, but it's probably that's probably a change that you just do to make the outside happy. I think these changes yeah. you know, really add something to the team and and really make the team better rather than just, you know, making people on the outside happy. The last thing you need is to is to just because there's media pressure on Cherry Evans to get axed doesn't mean you, like you said, you don't go out there and just please the people on the outside and go, oh, that's good because Cherry Evans apparently didn't have a good game. It's like, no, Cherry Evans didn't have a good game attacking-wise because he was getting targeted defensively and the amount of energy that he has to put in. He made 40-plus tackles or something in in game two for a halfback. Like, that's ridiculous. So he's obviously a point that uh, an area in defence that New South Wales are going to target. Um, so you don't make a change like that. And what does that tell to the rest of the team? No, they're not even the captain. They go, oh, geez, if I have a couple of bad games, I'm gone. And I think you need to set an example. And I think you let Cherry Evans, as they will, play the rest of the series. And then you kind of reevaluate it. You see our Walker, Walsh, and, uh, and those couple of those young guys coming through going. And you, and you make changes from there, but definitely not for game three. But that's enough for the origin chat for today. As much as we could talk about it forever, we'll move on to our second topic. The All Blacks, man. Absolutely ridiculous. They have to be arguably one of the best sporting organizations in the entire world. 102 to zip against Tonga. 102. Absolutely ridiculous. Blaze, give us an insight into this game. How do you lose 102 to nil? I think it just shows, one, you know, how ruthless the, the All Blacks are. You know, when they get it, they get a sniff there. They they put the foot in the throat and they don't stop. You know, Will Jordan was pretty impressive out wide, five tries. And, yeah, the All Blacks are just a ruthless organisation, top to bottom. And 
you know, that's what they do. They When they go out to play and put on that black jersey, they're going 100 miles an hour and they're not stopping for anyone. Why Why could Tonga not even get some points on the board? Are they, are they missing players? What What's going wrong? Yeah, I think it is probably important to note that Tonga were pretty under strength. You know, COVID this year has made it really difficult. A lot of the Pacific Island players play over in Europe. So a lot of them have either chosen to stay over there or are actually in quarantine in New Zealand currently and preparing for the, the game next week against Samoa, which for Tonga is actually a more important game in terms of their qualification for the 2023 World Cup. So, you know, it was a severely understrength. It was essentially a club side they ran out there. And, and yeah, that's, that's the scoreline we saw. Yeah, because the Tongan head coach actually said that they would only have about three or four who were in that team in the squad in the future. That is, that's an alarming statement. Um, do you think this makes a bit of a bad look for the international game when you see one of the, one of the best sides in the world put 102 points on and a team that's kind of trying to rise up and, and turn into somewhat of a powerhouse uh, put on no points. Is it concerning? And does that mean we blame New Zealand for the way that international rugby is uh, conceived or perceived? Sorry. Yeah, as you said earlier, you know, the All Blacks, are, they're a worldwide brand and they attract worldwide attention. So, you know, when people, people, when the All Blacks play, people look at the result and, you know, a big issue for rugby is that people will look at the result but not know the context behind it. So they just see 102-0 and they think, wow, you know, rugby's not in a very good place. In terms of is New Zealand to blame for it, I, I, I don't think they're completely to blame for it. They could have probably done some scheduling things to to make that game a bit better. But I think a lot of the, a lot of the big nations around the world have a bit of a tendency to you know, provide token support for the Pacific or pass blame onto other countries and say, oh, look at this this team there. They're stealing resources or taking players. But in the end, you know, I think every country's done it. And I think a lot of the countries can do a bit of a better job to help the Pacific and, you know, work with World Rugby and the Pacific Nations to, to really make them competitive. And as someone who has been around the Tongan Rugby Union team as a dad, is a former head coach of the international side. Are they improving? Because that scoreline would say otherwise. Is there improvement still happening in Tonga? I think all the all the countries have made have made big improvements. I think an issue for them is, you know, they they really make a big improvement around the World Cup period because they get get a lot of players together for a longer period of time, and then, you know, just after the World Cup, they they don't get to see their players very much. You know, this that was Tonga's first game since the, since the Rugby World Cup, which was close to two years ago now. So wow. they haven't played together for two years. Whereas the All Blacks have had a full full test uh, summer last last year, and now are into their second cycle. So I think the countries are are improving, but there still can be a lot more done to help them be competitive. Wow, well, very interesting topic in my opinion. But we'll move on to our continued series, Pretender or Contender, in the AFL today. We're talking about our team. The Sydney Swans, an impressive 118-26 to point victory over the West Coast Eagles. Mate, we both watched that game yesterday. It was uh, very pleasing to see our side come up trumps. What did you make of that incredible performance? Pretty crazy, you know. There's not not a lot of blowout scores like that in the AFL, and especially for the Swans, you know, I'm used to seeing them, you know, rise or fall to the level of the opposition they're playing, and they have some very close games usually. So to see them blow a team out was nice, and 
yeah, hopefully it bodes well for the rest of the season. Definitely. Well, in my opinion, I, I'm just seeing the Swans. They're currently sitting sixth on the ladder. They've shown signs of imp- uh, huge improvement from last year. They have really improved. You know, they have Don Pike now in the coaching staff, which I think has actually really helped them change their game because John Long- Longmire for years has kind of kept that same team game plan that won them the 2012 Premiership. And, you know, we're approaching 10 years since that flag. Um, so changes had to be made. Um, but even with those changes in mind, I still don't think, and it hurts me to say it, I still don't think the Swans are Premiership contenders. I think they are pretenders. But I do think that they will finish in the top eight. And if they play like they did yesterday against West Coast, they do have a chance of being a top four side. But because they've lost a lot of close games, or not not close games, but games against teams that they should have beat, uh, teams such as GWS, Gold Coast Suns, Hawthorne Hawks, Frio, um, those four games in particular are games that you really need to win. And they haven't. And now there's a two-game difference between them in sixth place and Geelong in fifth place. And I think that's really going to hurt them. So they're probably going to have to settle for um, anywhere between fifth to eighth on the on the ladder come finals. And I think that's where they can really that's where they'll really struggle to be a contender for the premiership. Because I think every time they've gone on a on a premiership run, they've kind of started off the finals in a top four position. So I, that, that's just that's just my take for a start on the pretender. But what what do you think of the Sydney Swans? I think, you know, they're definitely one of those teams that I think no one wants to play. And when they get into those finals, I think you definitely want to be avoiding the Swans just because, you know, they have a very young side that, that don't really fear, play play with a lot of freedom. And a lot of their guys are probably playing above what, what they're expected to. You know, guys like Tom Hickey, Tom McCartan. You know, these guys are probably, you know, mid-tier, mid-tier players, but this season have really elevated themselves to to be upper echelon players. And that's helping the Swans, you know, for years for the Swans, it was, they relied on a few, few players and, and, you know, that worked for a few years. But then as we've spoken about, as the AFL's become closer in the last few years, it probably hindered the Swans. But, you know, Buddy's in great form at the moment. And with those guys then coming in and helping him, I think they can be a threat later in the season. Yeah. And and I know that I, I do think they're kind of being pretenders, but, um, I'm trying not to be biased here, but I do think they have one of the best forward lines in the league. And I think it is activated by Buddy Franklin because a lot of people know he's one of the best AFL players to ever play the game. And when you've got a target like that inside 50, teams have to make the choice whether they have a good enough defender to play one-on-one with him or whether they need a second person kind of always looming around that, that one-on-one matchup to, to force a two-on-one every now and then. Um, but then you're leaving Tom Papley open, Isaac Heaney, Errol Goulden, um, Sam Wicks, Will Haywood, like Sam Reed. Like this is just a forward line that is stacked. And all those guys are very capable of kicking two goals a game. Very, very capable. So that's where I get your point about them having these players that are playing above what they um, are usually capable of. But I think what's always been a good strength and it's definitely been shown this year when the Swans are on is they're rebounding off half back. But when they come up against teams that are setting 
or have some good forward pressure that kind of allows their midfield and backline to set up defensively for just a rushed kick out of their backline, they've really struggled to get any momentum up forward. And then, you know, the, the opposition score a goal and then they go back to the centre bounce and then they rely on their midfield to get a clearance inside 50. So that's why I just think the Swans really struggle when they come up against teams who are set defensively and can and can halt them from moving the ball quickly because the Swans just want to go. They want to go quickly, coast to coast, which is an exciting brand of football. But when you don't execute, you, you're done. And I think that's something we're seeing with Richmond a lot, who we spoke about a couple of weeks ago on the series, Pretender or Contender. But that's just something that I'm seeing. And, you know, I was doing some research on them. They, when the Swans lose games, and I think it's, this would be true for, for a lot of teams, but for the Swans, they turn the ball over more. In losses, more than 65 is, I think 67 was their lowest turnover amount in a losing game. And the average is 71. So that's pretty close to the average. And the rest of them were over 71. So they play worse than the league average when they're losing. And they have really, really low inside 50. Like they don't capitalize on their inside 50s. Just trying to find search on it so you know in the in those four losses that i uh that i spoke about giants goko suns frio they're having less than 45 percent efficiency inside 50 and that's just that's just not good enough when you get inside 50 you need to capitalize even if it's a behind just get any type of scoreboard pressure and the good teams do that melbourne geelong western bulldogs they put pressure on the scoreboard first and then they put pressure on you in the game through their skill. So um, that's why I still think they're they're a little bit pretenderish at the moment. The Swans, I think they're just they might be faking the fans just a little bit. And I really, yeah, as you said, it's a it's a definite um you know speed speed's a big part of the game, and it's also a high risk, high reward. So that probably reflects in those stats. You know, when they're going well, they're yeah. going really well, and they're winning games against teams they probably shouldn't. But you know. Yeah, the high risk, high reward means that when you're when you're not going so well, it can look pretty bad. And as you said, once teams get a bit more set up and slow them down a bit, they can be a little bit stagnant. Definitely. Well, we'll move on to our final topic, talking about the NBA final starting on Wednesday. Phoenix Suns up against the Milwaukee Bucks, mate. So good to see an NBA finals that's so close, and also one that doesn't have LeBron or Steph or Kevin Durant or just some absolute freak. Obviously. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a freak. Two-time MVP. Chris Paul, Devin Booker for Phoenix. Great players. But we're talking about people who haven't won a championship ever. I'm pretty sure there's no one on either side that's ever won a championship. And that's just incredible. So what do you think this means for the game of, of basketball in America and around the world following the NBA? It's definitely great. You know, as with any sport, I think it's good to have good to have variety at the top and you know, these are two franchises that have been, you know, there or thereabouts the last few years, but haven't haven't been in that top group, and yeah. and now they're finally broken through. Obviously, they've been been a bit lucky considering some of the the injuries and whatnot in that some of the big stars and the other teams. But in the end, you know, the NBA Finals are a pretty rigorous rigorous affair, and for those two teams to get through shows that they're the best. Yeah, and when you're saying there are thereabouts, that's just the Milwaukee Bucks. Phoenix, I don't think they've made the playoffs in five-plus years. Something ridiculous. 
Um, so they've really built through good trades, good drafting. Um, but yeah, for the Bucks, they've been there thereabouts for quite a few years and they just haven't been able to get the job done. So I'm very pleased to see them finally get over that hump. But for the Suns, a lot has been made of of their road to the NBA Finals. I mean, they had the Lakers in the first round. LeBron still struggling with a uh, high ankle injury. Uh, Anthony Davis was injured. So kind of lucky to get through there. Then they came up against the Nuggets and star point guard Jamal Murray. He was out with an ACL injury. Um, so again, kind of a bit lucky there. Come up against the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, possible ACL injury. Again, kind of lucky. When you're missing some of the best players on your side, it makes it really tough to, to, to succeed in the playoffs. And the Suns have come up against sides who are in that situation. But for me, I think when I'm looking at the matchup between these two teams, I've got the Phoenix Suns winning the NBA championship in 2021. And I think it comes down to their role players. Um, so players such as Jay Crowder, uh, Michael Bridges, campaign, Cam Johnson, these type of guys who just need to play their role, get to your spots, defend as well as you can, and just make life difficult for some of those Bucks stars. Obviously there's a little bit of an injury cr- cr- uh, cloud, sorry, um, surrounding Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, who hyperextended his knee and you saw the clip wasn't wasn't great. So I think it comes down to role plays. And I'm sure that's the same on both sides, but especially for the Suns, because I know that their stars can do it. So it comes down to, you know, having some other people to rely on to to get some much needed buckets in important points. But for yourself, who do you think is going to win these finals? And um, uh, what do you think is the most important um, thing for that side? Yeah, I'm probably a bit different to you. I'm going, I'm going the way of the Bucks. I just think one. I think you know Giannis is is a bit bit of a mismatch, and I think he'll really dominate. But I also think you know Chris Middleton's been pretty impressive, and you know you spoke about the Suns' role players. I think for the Bucks to win, he's going to have to have a big series. I, I think back to maybe the Golden State Warriors team when they were successful. You know they had some really good role players in there, and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, those sort of guys, and if. If Middleton, Middleton can do something similar, they'll be really dangerous. You know, he's averaging 24 points, but one issue is maybe his shooting, you know, only shooting at 44% from the field. So if he can get that up to, to 50 or above, I think they're going to be really dangerous. Yeah, you're right, because Chris Middleton, he's, he's shown, especially in that um, series against Atlanta, that when he's feeling it, he's feeling it, and he's just going to put it in, kind of like me on the basketball court, you know, just, I got a couple buckets in, good luck. Um, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, he shot 44% from the field against Atlanta, which he can definitely do better than that. Um, you know, he is someone who has averaged 50% from the field, 40% from beyond the arc and 90% from the free throw line in seasons past. So he is capable of providing those, um, very reliable statistics. Um, but I think they're going to need him to not deliver in just single quarters like how he's done. I think it needs to be, he needs to put a, a whole performance together. And if I see that, then that might change my mind to to lean away from Phoenix and move towards the Bucks. But again, I just think the depth of the Suns is really, really strong. And I think um, with that injury cloud surrounding Ante de Kumpo, I think that, that, um, once again, for the Suns, is a bit of luck 
and I think that might be enough to get him across the line. But fingers crossed Giannis gets out there because we all want to see a really good finals. And um, I actually saw this morning, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter as well, and for our listeners, um, someone actually predicted Suns Bucks finals in 2016. For this year, they said in 2016, it's going to be Suns Bucks. Bucks to win in Game 7, 123 to 115, I think it was. So if that guy gets a riot, time travel is real. It has to be. But anyway, um, that will do us for today. Once again, go and check out our work on Instagram and Twitter at T underscore practice drill. On there, in our bio, you can find the link to our website, www.thepracticedrill.com.au. We post articles there Monday through to Thursday. Go check it out, guys. And anyway, that will do us for this week, Blaze. I'll talk to you next Monday. See ya.